This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we go back to the Fraudster Files for a little vino. About 15 years ago, collectible wine from the Burgundy region of France started selling for higher and higher amounts than it ever had at auction. The auctioneer, Acker, was appearing on business TV shows suggesting that wine was a stable and finite investment. It was big business. The reason behind the boom was a man named Rudy. You see, Rudy had been buying all of the world's best Burgundy wine and then bringing it to auction. He was so well known as a collector and as a wine guru that his name alone brought credibility to any auction from LA to New York. But at one auction, just as a bottle was being bid on, a man from France stopped the show. He was the man whose family had allegedly made the bottle being bid on decades earlier. He stood up and told the crowd that not only is that wine not one of his, but that it had never existed in the first place. This is the Fraudster Files 3, The Wine Bubble. Episode 44 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, decision-making, and tomfoolery, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. And Chris, I bought a car from a buddy for 2000 bucks. It was old. I just need to get around town for a little while while I wait in line for my Ford Lightning. And Congratulations. Thank you. The battery died. It wouldn't start in the cold, and the trunk isn't operable by the secret skeleton key. And so I kicked my trunk yesterday so it opened so I could go golfing, and it won. It worked. I feel very much as if um, people observing that must have been like, this guy's breaking into a car. They don't know I'm playing my golf game. I figure that you're telling the car story, one, to flex that you bought a, a, a good $2,000 car. Correct. And two, to disguise the fact that you probably sucked at golf. Uh, yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't great. I played better, but it was nice to be outside. The best golf weather is this time of year. Because in the spring, it's like rainy and like it just weirdly feels colder. Like 55 degrees feels colder in February and March than it does yes, in October, yes. November. I, I don't know how to explain that, yeah. but absolutely it does. Yes, yeah, so like it's, you're ready. It's the same way that like like 4 p.m. on a Thursday is not the same as 4 p.m. on a Monday. 100. It is the weirdest thing ever. And like you notice how you're, you hold on to wearing shorts much longer as it becomes winter, but you hold on to wearing pants much longer as it becomes spring. Like you don't break out the pants till it's like 70, but you're, you're in shorts until it's like 45. Like it's a whole thing. Fashion inertia. It applies to golf for sure. It absolutely applies to golf. So welcome to episode 44. We're talking Froster Files. We're bringing it back. People like these episodes. Today we have a really fun one that's going to bring in a lot of debates and a lot of interesting stuff. The victims are rich people, which is hysterical. And I think it's hysterical. Maybe that's being unwoke. Is it unwoke or super woke? No, it's, I think the term is based. Based. It's, ah. a, it's a very based take to hate the rich. True. That's, that, that's, a, that's a good call. I'm very, yeah. And it is, you know, it is the week of the basic Taylor Swift's, um, Problem just came out. So regardless, yeah, congratulations about, to all the Swifties out there for both of the midnights, the one that happened at midnight and the one that happened at 3 a.m. <laughs> we are doing a Froster Files. Rudy Carniawan, I think is how you say his name. Uh, Try that again. Rudy Carniawan. Carniawan? Carniawan. I think so. The wine guy. The wine He's known guy. As the wine guy. Yeah. Circles. There's a great documentary. I think it's on Amazon Prime. It, it circulates Netflix, HBO. It, it'll be around for you to watch it. You can find a link to it in the show notes. Also in the show notes, Chris. 
uh, a link to subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out. And the newsletter includes like a couple tidbits of news articles that we've read. And we're like, hey, check this out. Um, it also comes with a little explanation and a, a recent example of an episode. The most recent episode, the newsletter comes out on Thursdays after the Tuesday after we publish our episode. And also we give some stuff about who we're following in there. So you can subscribe to that. It's in the show notes and send it out every Thursday. Uh, try that for like a year or two. And if you guys like it, I'll keep doing it. And if you don't sign up for it, I won't keep doing it. So you can sign up for the newsletter. Remember the last episode or the last one, I, um, the New York Times has definitively found the researchers that said that you do not need to pre-rinse your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. And Twitter had thoughts on their findings. Uh, I think our mother would have thoughts on those findings. Correct. She, she beat this mantra into our heads. She's yeah. like, rinse, dishwasher, rinse, Ooh. dishwasher. And like, Actually, that worked for like, yeah, that worked for like elementary school. Yeah. Like, you got to load your stuff in the dishwasher. Don't just like chuck it in the sink and let <laughs> right. mom do all the work. Like, rinse it and then put it in the dishwasher. So researchers definitively determined that you don't need to rinse dishes before t- putting them in the dishwasher. Correct. That's so, what they allege. Like, what are we? What are we doing here? That's what, what I like, thought. Like in the in the broader sense, like do you, you you have to do research to figure out whether your dishes are going to be cleaner or not if you spend two seconds rinsing stuff off of a plate. My God, <laughs> so like, I pay for that. Probably I want to take university seriously, but good lord, yeah, that's tough. So <laughs> yeah, you can find that, and my thoughts are in that or that kind of thing will be available in uh, the newsletter, along with other more serious things. For example, the Alex Jones uh, settlement of nearly a billion dollars for fake news in the Sandy Hook de- defamation trial. We're gonna do an episode about that and some adjacent content eventually. Um, actually, probably pretty soon next week, the week after, I would imagine. Uh, that kind of thing will be in the newsletter as well, uh, or like stuff like the Apple Watch thinking you got in a car accident when really you rode a roller coaster. That's been a big uh, bug that they have to fix. So yeah, wow. lots of stuff in the newsletter. You can subscribe in the show notes. Also, YouTube, tell your friends, tell your family, five-star reviews. If, if you think we're actually four-star, put five-star and then comment in the review that I actually think it's a four-star, but I'm helping these guys out by, by giving them a five-star. We would really appreciate that. Be a G. Yeah, we read some really interesting stuff, and you know, not, not all of it's worth putting on a podcast. Almost of course, of a lot of the stuff that we do put on the podcast probably mm-hmm. isn't worth putting on the podcast, but we preach, yeah. appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, and the newsletter is a really cool place to kind of just like, if you're interested in stuff, if you're looking for kind of like different content other than what the, what the algorithms feed you, uh, trust the original algorithm, which is poor decisions made by two basic white guys sitting correct. in their apartments. Yep, correct. So it's, yeah, none of this is useful. It's just mostly like, huh, this is reading for fun. You're reading for fun. If you read yeah, a newsletter, fun it's just, newsletter. It's just whatever. It's a fun time. I before we get into Rudy Chris, I want to do an instant replay, which is a new segment that we're coming up with, which is where we go back into an episode that was just published an episode or two ago into our cheating episode, which people really you, liked. You need to do like a. You need a sound effect. So you, you, you always bully me with the crickets. That's yeah, true. Yeah, you, you need to do like like set that up so you can hit a button so we can get like instant replay. I get or I get steal some sound from the NFL. The previous play is under further review. Um, so remember the fisherman that cheated with the fish chris how could i forget if if from that episode we had two examples one of them was uh, in lake powell in utah from a a few years ago these guys got charged like with conspiring to like fix the result of a contest or something like they were criminally charged and then of course there were the guys who just a couple of weeks ago won like the ohio like the lake erie bass fishing contest because they were like stuffing the shit out of their fish with like other fillets of fish and a bunch of lead weights and stuff. Right. That's exactly what happened. Well, Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky were indicted by Cahoga County Grand Jury on one charge each of the following. 
Cheating, which I didn't know that was against the law in Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County. Oh, my goodness. Cheating. Wow. Attempted grand theft, possessing criminal tools, and unlawful ownership of wild animals. Possessing criminal tools. Like, so, so I wonder what – that's the most interesting charge to me because, like, okay, the wild animals one makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The cheating one is obvious. Mm. The uh, what, what did you say the third – the second one was? It was okay, like so we have – okay. Cheating, attempted grand theft. That's attempted like, grand theft. Okay, so yeah. that also makes sense because the, 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 these guys wouldn't have cheated, as we said on the show, without some huge like set of stakes at right. play. Like they were getting money for right. their stupid twenty nine thousand dollars is what they stood to win. Wow. Yep. But the uh, the criminal tools one is interesting. It's like ah yes, we have the murder weapon, several fillets of fish from the I local think, mire. I think this is what my take is after having watched uh, four of the five seasons of The Wire. <laughs> I think that that is the <laughs> now, kind of now law. Now that you're basically a prosecutor. Correct. Yeah, but only in like very specific demographics and like a small section of I-95 in the Northeast. That's where my expertise is. So, <laughs> so I, but what I think is, if I had to guess, like I'm not a lawyer, but I did watch The Wire. I think that this is one of those situations where a law is like they created a law for specific contexts because they knew someone was doing something. They knew they couldn't prove that. So they're like, yeah, but you had the gun. And like, that's going to be how we get you for like a year and a half. You know what I mean? Does that sound like, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's exactly yeah. what it sounds like. And actually, that's going to come up as we talk about our current episode. Absolutely. Fraudster Rudy Kurnia one. And what a segment. Okay. The replay is over. Those cheaters are getting screwed. We will talk more about Hans Neiman next time because that's the story that won't die. It's getting hilarious. Oh, yeah, we can do another instant replay. He is suing Magnus Carlsen for $400 million. Yeah, that's, that's a little much. On the episode, we said he's a little brat with a bad attitude. Uh, we're going to double down on that. Yeah. He's absolutely a little turd. And whether he's right or wrong about this, he's admitted to cheating. And so taking a foreigner to court over cheating scandals for something that happened on the internet and over a literal board game, uh, that's child stuff. Yeah. That's like that's like little kitty stuff. And, you know, I think the worst thing that ever happened to the chess community was that the internet existed. Yeah. And uh, similar to college football. Yep, yeah, that's a community that should be left by itself, like one of those little self-contained sealed biomes where somebody <laughs> plants seeds yeah. in like the 1980s and now it's like a thriving environment. I agree. Like as soon as you pull the lid off of that, it's just disgusting, and nobody wants to deal with it. Correct. That. Yep. And speaking of things that uh, need years and years to get corked before you open them, wine. Let's wow, talk that's about two, that's two really good segues for us. I, I know. Promise. I know. We're we're firing on all cylinders. We should we should have been weekly week much earlier. Let's talk about the greatest, and in my opinion, the funniest fraud uh, of all time. And also, so remember, <laughs> you can play. such a funny fraud. It really is. We can, you can play along with us. We, we're doing this Fraudster Files for the, for the duration of the show. We're, hopefully, we'll, we'll be doing this for years, and we can quit our jobs and be famous and work for Barstool or Vice or Ringer or one of those. That'd be the real fraud. That would be the fraud. So you can play along with us. We do these rankings. We're going to find out who is the best or most uh, proclaimed fraudster. Last time, we did someone who's going to have a chance to win this thing, which is Elizabeth Holmes. There are five categories that we use to judge them, and it has to do with both how smart they were, how lucky they were, and, and just how kind of a bad person they were. Here are the five categories. You can rate them on a scale to one to ten. Number one is success. How good were they at this? Number two is intelligence. How smart were they just in the grand scheme of things? Number three is luck. That's a huge part of any level of business success, though. I'll tell you that. Number four is depravity or how evil they were. How much did they know? How much did they know that they knew? And how much were they purposely hiding from someone? So even within the context of this one, if you know it's bullshit and you know how people are getting screwed, that was one where Elizabeth Holmes is a hard 10. She impacted the lives of thousands and thousands of people and the risks were death. 
So like that's she's she was she was a hard ten for an example. Yeah, she's a, she's among the worst of the worst. So no I question. think it'll be, I think it's going to be tough based on what what I know about Rudy uh, for him to break the ranks uh, of, of Elizabeth Holmes, but uh, he can compete with Billy McFarlane for sure. No, no question. I actually think he's probably significantly smarter, but we'll, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But and, we'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the rankings. And the number five is lying or storytelling. How good were they at like faking who they were? So success, intelligence, luck, depravity, and storytelling. How good were they? So before we get into the discussion about this guy, let's talk about the story. So his name allegedly is Rudy. And Chris, there's a great documentary. You and I have each seen it multiple times. It's called Sour Grapes, came out in 2016. And it's about how this guy named Rudy essentially hoodwinks the entire elite rich wine world into buying shit that wasn't what he said that it was. Yeah, it's it's a really good documentary, really well produced. And I I think they kind of, uh, they got some good fortune with the fact that this was a a wine-based fraud because wine is one of those things that it just draws on a lot of like nostalgia for people who have drunk a lot of wine and for people who want to be like classy and like sophisticated and really sensually perceptive. Uh, I think a lot of people are mostly full of garbage when they talk about what they yeah. can and can't taste in wines. Uh, but you know, there, there is like the genuine expertise out there for people who like their whole lives are based on wine, like people right. who are born into old winemaking families. And so this documentary kind of inserts us, as the audience into like the wine world. And it starts in like old world Burgundy with one of the, one of the guys who become uh, one of the main players in, in Rudy's story of fraud. And from there it takes us like, here's how wine is kind of like grown. And here's like the uniqueness of the fact that it's grown in a specific place. And like, it takes that place with all its characteristics, like the composition of the soil and the climate and like, even like the culture arguably, and distills all of that down into a, delicate and, and exquisite, a really rare, hard to make kind of uh, consumable good. And I, th- I think that's just like something that audiences are really drawn to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and from there, it shows us like, okay, here's this world that's based largely on like sensuality and perception and kind of like expertise is necessary to understand just how valuable all of this kind of esoteric stuff is. And here's what happens when somebody... Uh, kind of injects their own brand of nonsense into the wine world and takes everybody who's kind of like posturing as one of the experts who knows what's up with wine, uh, kind of takes them for a ride. Yeah. And so let's explain a little bit about how like why how this is even possible with regard to wine. So there are two kinds of wines, new world, old world. Old world, think of like shit that the Roman Empire had, like Italy, France, Austria, the Mediterranean. Basically Europe, like yeah. like before the before the new world was discovered, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, th- this is like, like wines from Europe and Correct. yeah, like basically the Roman Empire. Right. And then the rest are like the Americas and like Oceano and New Zealand and Australia, new world, old world. So the old world... For those of you that don't follow politics, there's a lot of like socialism involved in France and Italy. And one of the things that they do specifically in France, which is where this documentary is, is honed in on, is they, by law, require certain wines to be made with certain ingredients and certain times. And what they don't want is people specifically from China and the United States to buy the land and then like Americanize it or China and make it Chinese where there's like industrial, get it in, get it out, sell that shit to rich people. They don't want that. What they want is the way it has always been in France and families own it and like there are people that are growing the business there, but it's really hard. You have to play within the rules. Certain grapes at certain times, like for example, Bordeaux wine has to, by law, be 90% either Merlot or Bordeaux or Merlot or Cabernet Sauvignon by law. So the other thing about it is based on the, the soil and the temperature and the grape, certain wine gets better with age. 
most wines kind of don't. They like five to ten to fifteen years are a little bit better, but there are certain wines and certain grapes and certain climates and whatnot that get better with age. The best ones of those are in Northern California and in France. And that's where we are today. Burgundy is the region that's like, this shit is so much better 10 years down the road and then 20 and then 40 years down the road. And then it becomes a status symbol to find this bottle that's all like you just, everybody's got the dream of like finding this shit at a garage sale. Like this is a $40 bottle of wine. It's worth $200,000 now. That's kind of what we're playing on here. And that can only happen in certain areas in the world where they allow this kind of stuff. And where you said, in France, these kind of mom and pop shops, they make five or 600 bottles a year. That again plays on this kind of like hipster, like mega wealthy trust fund baby hipster kind of vibe. And so that's, that's why this is possible, the aging of the wine. So this guy, Rudy, he shows up out of nowhere and he starts going to these auction houses, which is where you buy these collections, and he starts just buying shit. And, and, and when we say like where you go and just start buying stuff, like that's not like average Joe. Like yeah. somebody working nine to five, you know, bringing home an uh, a, a ordinary middle class paycheck. Like that's not for you. This is like for auction houses for like representatives of ultra, ultra wealthy people. I mean, like right. millions and millions of dollars worth of goods go through these auction houses like every year. And wine is a major part of that because of this rarity and this like this perception that it's like super classy and super elite. So like the auction house clientele is all like several like class levels above the average person. And that's a really important component of the yes. story as well, because like Nick, as you said, like the, the, the wines that, that are kind of the subject were the subject of Rudy's fraud uh, were these burgundy based wines. Yeah. And what happened was he kind of, as you said, came out of nowhere and started to like change the way that the prices worked for these burgundy wines. Like he was just buying up a whole bunch of it and making it kind of seem like it was rarer than it was. And he was basically like resetting the price points for these Burgundy wines and just totally disrupting the market. Yeah, so he created his own bubble is essentially what he did. He would buy all these wines and make them seem crazier. And then it, it kind of got out of control. I remember because I used to, when I was trying to like get my life together in 2011 and 2012, I was reading the Wall Street Journal all the time, like forcing myself, learn shit, dude. Like learn stuff, read the newspaper. And, it yeah, was, and then that period of life ended. Correct. Now, now I just donate $150 to them every year with a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very grateful for your I, uh, contribution. Yeah, they are where well, they, yeah, they have my email. They know who I am. Anyway, so they, they, then they were covering this at the time. They were like, what's going on with all these burgundy wines? And they were like, well, rich Americans and rich Chinese people are collecting them. Like, yeah, but when you start to dig deeper, like it's actually a bubble and there's a bunch of shit going on and what's happening. But this is where the story gets important because Rudy, you can't, you and I probably, I mean, I don't know how much effort we could put into it. You and I can't walk off the street and bullshit the way that he bullshitted with this, this stuff because he actually did understand the way that the wine was supposed to taste, the way that it, like they could talk about it. He knew the history of Burgundy. He knew the history of Italy. He knew all of this stuff. So when he's smelling this, he's like, you know, when he's tasting the wine, he's like, yeah, this is legit. You can't fake your way into wine world. You either speak it and are educated in it or you're not. So they would, because if he had just been some, some uh, Billy McFarland snake oil salesman, they would have sniffed him out in seconds. Yeah, well, and, th and that's one of the things about this community too is like because it's so exclusive mm -hmm. and because it's based on like having a really good palate, it is hard to fake that. Like you can't, you, you know, you, you, you can't develop an, uh, a level of expertise with wine without just like drinking a ton of wine and drinking like really, really good wine. You know, like if you go down to the store and buy a bunch of like 
two buck chuck and barefoot. Like you're never going to break into these circles. Like that's right. a fundamentally different activity than what these guys are doing. So the fact that he had like a really good rarefied palette and really knew what he was talking about right. and had all this depth of expertise with these like really ultra rare, ultra valuable, high quality wines bought him a ton of credibility. And by the way, one of the very important things about this is like, this is a self-reinforcing culture in the wine world. It has nothing to do with like any objective standard right. of like, anybody who can taste this is an expert and anybody who misses that is like not like there's no like th there's no wine scale to measure how good or bad a wine is it's all up to the judgments and perceptions of the people who are consuming it so like the art of being a sommelier which is like a professional wine taster yeah. person who pairs it with food makes recommendations and can like identify what a wine is by taste yeah. like that is all based on expertise and a a, a culture of approval and like self-policing. So it is a matter of just like breaking into that ranks. Like you don't have to pass any, like you don't have to pass a bar exam. There's no bar exam for wines. Right. There are exams, but they're all just like judged by the judgment of other experts who have passed the exams in the past. Yeah, so, so the, like identifying a wine is like, it is kind of like the bar, but identifying whether or not it's good is up to you. Like that's just total bullshit. Then that's what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because that's true. Like there's no way that like you can, you can't be like, oh, this person can tell you what's good. They can like tell you what it is, but they can't yeah, tell you what's so, good. So like there's a there's a scene toward the end of the, of the Sour Grapes documentary that kind of reinforces that all of this is basically just like the consensus of really wealthy people about what is and what is not quality. Right. And like, uh, and I'm not talking about like, uh, it, it, it's, it's fraud to say that a wine in this bottle with this label and these characteristics was or was not made at this time and in this place. Like right. that is a different thing. Like, cause that's verifiable stuff. Like you can trace the origin of wines and the origin of labels we'll and, all that. Stuff. and that, that comes into play. But this scene that I'm thinking about is toward the end of the documentary, they're going through one of Rudy's biggest clients who ended up buying a ton of fake shit. Yeah. Like, like Rudy would like make all these fake wines yeah, and like quote, quote unquote recondition this stuff. And one of his biggest clients who bought a bunch of his fake shit and just has it in this huge collection is like giving a sample tasting. And uh, it, it, and the, the guy that I'm talking about uh, in particular, Levy, I mean, if I can pull up his page, is uh, this guy named Jeffrey Levy. Yeah, uh, he's like a he's like a Hollywood like film uh, type of guy, and uh, he's like got this collection of wine and he's giving a tasting to people. And there's this other dude who has not appeared in the documentary to this point. It's toward the end, and he tastes a, a pour of this wine and and he's like, yeah, this is garbage. This, like, this is what, like yeah. swill. It, I, 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 he says, I've tasted this wine before. I'm very familiar with it. it he's, the way he described the wine in question was like, if you had a really rich club sandwich with like a fried egg cracked over the top, like it yeah. almost gets like that. And he's like, this is just garbage. Yeah. And the guy, Jeffrey Levy, uh, whose wine it was and who was defrauded, uh, was like, oh, really? That's interesting. Because he had just been selling the wine as like one of these ultra rare, right. like super high-end collectibles. And so he was full of shit. Yeah. And the, the 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 thing that was undermined here, it wasn't just the fact that he bought a bunch of fraudulent wine. It was the fact that his credibility and his credentials Jeffrey as Levy. one of these. Yeah. yeah, like that gets called into question when another expert identifies something that is supposed to be legitimate uh, as really fake. And so Jeffrey Levy's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. And by the way, interesting fact uh, from the documentary, the only two people that defend Rudy uh, for his fraudulence throughout the show are like give him like some plausible deniability are his defense attorney and this guy. 
Jeffrey Levy. Yeah, and so the Jeffrey Levy thing was a, a part of humanity that I think is really interesting, and I think we could, we might as well just get into it right now because I, I remember watching it for the first time and be like, dude, like this guy fucked you. Like he was definitely your friend. I think this Rudy, the like the genius here, he he was definitely your friend. Like you had great times with him, and like you know, in Vino Veritas, let's drink and get drunk and spend well, an ass of money on wine. Yeah, he he said he like met Rudy's family. He said like yeah, I spent like three Christmases with Rudy's mom, and he was yeah. like taking care of his mom and all this stuff. Yep, and but like also he fucked you, and like you can face facts. It reminds me of a scene. Like I, I suspect you might have some office quotes coming up. It reminds me a lot of the Andy Bernard thing in the final episode, the greatest final episode in American television history, where he's like, "I wish somebody would tell you that it's the good old days when you're in them." Like that guy just wanted. He was, you know, he's great Gatsby. He wanted it to be something that it was again. It's like, dude, like this guy ripped people off by millions of dollars. Uh, so like, and that kind of made me sad for this guy. It's like, he just wanted it to be ten years ago, back when shit was flowing and it was awesome and things were fun and. Which is great. Like, it's a great thing, but I wonder how Jeffrey's doing now, man. That sucks. What happened to him? Yeah, and, and you know, I have no way of knowing how he's doing right now, whether he's come to grips with the fact that he was defrauded and, and this guy was full of shit or not. Right. Uh, but you're absolutely right, and, and that's where, like, it, it, it calls to mind, like, Billy McFarlane, where he wants to have this great time, and everybody's, like, right. having fun together and getting hammered, and there's all this, like, there's a very, like, sex appeal right. kind of atmosphere to whatever it, whatever it is you do, whether it's, like, dining out or just, like, rubbing shoulders status, with these. Yeah. 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 Like this very high emphasis on status. And, uh, I, I, I hope he's come to come yeah. to grips with what's Same. happened. Cause, uh, Rudy has, Rudy was convicted and uh, he's been deported, but, uh, maybe Nick, maybe we should, maybe we should talk about like specifically let's what get the facts. he did. Yeah. Let's, yeah get let, the facts. Let, let's, let's break down how this fraud actually worked beyond right. just like tricking yeah. people who thought they knew what good wine was. Yeah. Okay. Let's go for it. Give me some numbers. Okay, so well, I don't, I don't have numbers. I have let's, like the process of. Oh yeah, okay, uh, yeah. Like, let's do the facts, and then we'll do the the fucking money. <laughs> yeah. So, the way that this fraud basically worked uh, was the result of this FBI in- investigation that uh, that went into Rudy was based on a claim from uh, Bill Koch, a guy named Bill Koch. Uh, you might remember him from like the Koch brothers. Ultra, yeah. we're talking like ultra wealthy, ultra powerful. This dude's got like. $400 million worth of wine just like sitting around in his home. Yeah, he's essentially, when you think of like the rich people that are pulling the strings and making us all miserable, like he would be the person that you think of. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, it, it, I guess according to the documentary, uh, his representative would go to these wine auctions and it was just like a hobby of his. So the representative would constantly be bidding against Rudy right. to get these like really rare wines. And it was For like, Rudy's shit, which is incredible yes. genius on Rudy's part. And also Bill Koch, we'll get into him in a minute because he got defrauded by other people for millions of dollars. So let's, okay, so he, Bill Koch is bidding against Rudy for Rudy's wine because he wants to own all the cool shit. Yes, and this collection is supposed to be really rare, really valuable, and uh, so he, like, kind of does some investigating, and eventually he starts to realize, like, well, uh, some of the things about the wine that I'm noticing are, are clearly, they're clearly not aligned. So, basic facts, like, this wine purports to be this, like, varietal, and it was produced in this year by this vineyard. And this guy who's like a wine aficionado, like he has a whole bathroom that's like decorated around wine. He's like, as I said, he's like millions and millions of dollars of wine. He knows like, okay, this vineyard didn't actually start producing with this varietal of grape until several years later. So like this cannot exist. Like there's no yeah. such thing as this wine because this it, it, it was never made by this vineyard in this time and place. And he started to notice inconsistencies about like, how labels were applied to the bottles and like how wax seals were put on. And like, he could start to tell like this bottle has actually been recorked. So what's in here is not what it was purported to be. Right. And after discovering this kind of like systematic presence of fake wines, like verifiably fake wines, he 
basically filed a complaint and the FBI did an investigation. And what they found was uh, at this this 5 a.m. raid at Rudy's house, they found pretty much a wine label manufacturing Factory, operation going and on. And what was, it was in like, there? Yeah, go ahead. It was it, it it was like if 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 somebody had been charged with uh, with producing and selling marijuana or, or uh, selling methamphetamine, and somebody found a meth lab in their house. It's like yeah. okay, clearly here's what's happening. Uh, they, they found like hundreds and hundreds of bottles of like basic California wine that you can go go to the grocery store and buy off the shelf. Uh, they found a, a soaking a bottle soaking like station in the sink to so make it look would, aged, like, so- right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and and to and to get the labels off, so he would right. get these like store bought labels off the bottles of wine, and they found all, all kinds of like handwritten notes about like, okay, here's a really rare wine that I've actually tasted. Like he no no shit did taste this wine and knows what it is. So he started like trying to find other cheap like basic wines and trying to blend them with such that their characteristics combine to kind of recreate the effect of this other really high end wine. He he basically just made counterfeit wines based on the taste. Right. And that's where like the, the, the expertise of these wine connoisseurs really comes into play because like if the quality of a wine and the value of a wine is based on the senses. Right. And if you can trick the senses with a really good like recreation, then you can get away with telling people like, this is the real thing. And there's not, they can't like go back and verify like, Oh yeah, no, that's not really it. Unless they know the wine better than you do. Uh, yes. And so like, let me be clear. The genius of this is insane. This is like Magnus Carlsen Shakespeare level genius. And I'll tell you why. Because this dude wasn't like, he didn't have a bottle and he wasn't going sip for sip. He would try something once or twice. Then he would go home and write notes on memory. And then he would get it close enough that the majority of people, the majority of people who had also tasted that wine would be like, holy shit, this is really good. He's like, this was $25. That level of genius is absurd that's absurd that he could remember it and then tinker and then recreate it that I can't even wrap my mind around the ability to do that so there are three kinds of people the various palates and I'm sure that there's a scientist that can tell us but in wine tasting there are three kinds of people uh like, like dead palates or they, they they call them just like um it's, it's people who don't have a certain kind of sensory thing on their tongue and it's just like wine tastes like wine to them and these are people who don't really care about this then the second thing are just average people where like you can learn and train yourself with your nose and, and to get to this high level someone yay level but also uh, for the most part good things taste good sour things taste sour whatever then the third group which i think is like we think like 12 percent of people have what's called a super palate and they can be like yo there's a pine nut in here and you're like no there's no pine nut in your sandwich like there's a fucking pine nut in here and they can they know everything unless there's a super palate in the wine world that can be like this is bullshit even people who have tasted it a hundred times, he could defraud them. And to recreate it from memory is, I, I can't, like we've talked about Elizabeth Holmes where she just made all this up. This is the opposite of that. Yeah, He, he was using it. like real actual wine expertise to yeah. make a bunch of fake wines, jack the prices up, use it like basically bidding for his own collections and like getting a, a, a crazy amount of money for what was at the end of the day, basically store-bought stuff that he was he uh, was was putting back into like crappy bottles. Yeah. So, but like, but the problem was that his level of expertise didn't really translate into uh, a, a repeatable, consistent operation. You're so right. there are a couple of factors at play here. Uh, number one, there were a lot of systematic errors that a, a bunch of people were able to identify. There was a yeah. journalist with the New York Times. I forget what her name was. Uh, she was a, a key player in in kind of investigating who Rudy was and and what his role was, and. Uh, 
she said like she could identify like when a, a label had been placed and like artificially conditioned to like make it look older because yeah. you gotta like you, you gotta make the bottles look old you gotta make all like the cork and the the labeling and all this kind of stuff look like it's been together and in one place for like decades and yeah. so she could identify like okay clearly this type of paper has been reconditioned and then we would see like the errors like like what we said before how bill coke was able to identify that he had been given fake wines like vintages that were purported to be made in a time and place were not like they they were not made that way and people who knew the histories of the vineyards and knew like the origins of a lot of wines could say like this wine was never made here in this year right. or they didn't start using this type of like production process or like this type of paper on their labels until a certain year so like the 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 counterfeit operation didn't account for all those factors. Right. Uh, and then the third thing, uh, which kind of li links back to this broader backstory of who the person of Rudy Kurnianwan uh, actually is, was that people didn't know where his money was coming from. Like yeah. the number of bottles that he had to like sell, uh, which were fake, like, like 10,000 of these bottles like went into auction circles and like generated millions and millions of dollars. And, based on one of the experts opinions who was like from like an old world burgundy vineyard. Uh, he was said like, it's going to take like at least an hour to do all this stuff to like let the label soak off and to like reapply and recondition and recork and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, there's physically, there's just no way that one person could take all that time to do that for that many bottles. So there had to be some sort of operation. Yeah. And Nick, the, 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 the turn that the documentary took, to go all the way back to Rudy's origins in Indonesia right. shocked me. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Well, I, go I, I mean, it. It, was just, it was just unbelievable. Like, yeah. The level of involvement that this guy had to have, like, it had to have been a family operation. Yeah. Uh, people didn't know where Rudy's money was coming from. Like, you can't get into these circles without, like, being really wealthy and, and, and having a lot of connections. Again, you so can't cool. fake it. It's not just the wine. It's the money. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that kind of status doesn't. If you you can't pretend to be wealthy, like you have to actually yeah. put up money to 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 participate in in a lot of these circles, so people didn't know where his money was coming from. Uh, and after investigation, really really interesting stuff came about. So like people didn't really even know what his actual name was because he had operated under aliases. Smart. Uh, it, uh, he uh, his his actual family was like he was he's born of Chinese descent. His his birth name was uh, Jin Wang Huang. And he moved, like his parents like moved to Indonesia and they gave him like an Indonesian name, according to his defense attorney. Uh, but it was the name, his name and his, uh, his alleged brother's name uh, were like famous badminton players. It'd be like if somebody was trying to like create an American persona abroad and they named themselves Dwayne Wade and Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, okay, that's possible. Like I know people with those names, but like, come on. Yeah, or so, like D.B. Cooper, that's a Canadian uh, fucking comic book hero. Yeah, like, I mean, it's 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 clearly like, okay, somebody's making up a name here. Right. Uh, and, and the really interesting thing to me is, uh, well, actually, actually, side quest real quick here. Yeah, okay. Uh, one of the names that he operated <laughs> with, with was, uh, it was like Tay, uh, I forget what the name was. It was uh, Tay, I don't know. But the name that he was operating under uh, was his mother's name. That's and like the lack of familiarity in these like ultra wealthy American circles with like Indonesian names. Uh, it was like when uh, on, on the office when Kelly is uh, it's like, 
Oh, uh, I'm going to, when, uh, when the, they hire the new receptionist and he's like, okay, oh, I'm yeah. going to call you Aaron and I'm going to call you Kapoor. And she's like, oh yeah, I want to go by my middle name. And, and, uh, Kelly Kapoor is like, you know what my middle name is? Rajni Gonda. And I hate it. And then Kevin's like, I thought Rajni Gonda was a boy's name. <laughs> like, like the fact this dude can like operate with his actual mom's yeah, name. Yeah, that's amazing. And people didn't know it. It was like, okay. Yeah, that's very cocky. He was a little cocky. Yeah. But then the, the the crown jewel, like I guess I guess the keystone in this arch of of fraud and like this family operation and like where this money's coming from, uh, the FBI investigation into this guy revealed that Rudy's family was responsible for the largest bank robbery in the history of Indonesia. Yeah. Like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of money was just taken by Stolen. one bank owner from another bank and he just ran away with it. Like yeah. this, this guy yeah. was like Rudy's grandfather or something. Right. He took all this money out of this bank and basically just fled to Australia. And so the family was able to benefit from that. So Rudy was like being bankrolled by stolen money to further defraud people. And it just, this amazing combination of like the raw intelligence and skill required to be like a real actual wine aficionado. Uh, it it combined with like the malicious evil of just like stealing a shitload of money from like, from, from an already like developing country. Uh, It's, it's, it's just shocking and amazing to me. I think that for the most part, if I think that my impression during the documentary is that his family was very much trying to distance themselves from him because like he was even before he got caught, like his immediate family probably helped him create shit. Like obviously it would have taken a lot of time and you know, people probably helped him out and, and whatnot. But I think that like the larger family was like, this guy's drawing too much attention to us. Like we're rich. We stole this money. Like, let's just be rich and shut up. He was such a genius though. I think that people like his immediate family were like, let's just trade off the skill. And like in their defense, this is the weirdest thing is that the way that he did it, if he'd have been a little bit more patient and understood how Google works and like, make sure you get the facts, right. I don't think that they catch him because I, I, he, and also there's no other, there's no better way to use this skill that he has. Like what he's going to do, make wine and sell it for a hundred bucks a bottle. Like do this. You can be incredibly, this is incredibly lucrative. The people that are getting defrauded, unless they get really pissed and like journalists and the nerds raise their hands and be like, hey, you've been defrauded. The rich people are going to care. They just want their friends to think that they own this thing, which is part of the deal as well. And so let's get into the victims. I want to talk about old Willie Coke because this guy, the Coke brothers are genuine pieces of shit and um, just heartless, soulless people. They buy elections. They buy people. They own Coke Industries, which owns like all of the stuff in your house, like toilet paper and Coca-Cola and like, do they own Coca-Cola? I think they do. Own, they, they own like everything. Know. Windex, they own like a bunch of household shit. They're, they're like a Johnson and Johnson type of company. They exactly. like make household products. Correct. And like their dad was an oil tycoon and they left it all to them. And these guys like fix elections and like they're, they don't fix them. I would never allege that. No reasonable person would think I would allege that, but they essentially, do you like that? <laughs> that was a disclaimer. Nice, nice preparation for the deposition. Yeah. Well, yes. If I get sued by the Koch brothers, I can't describe to you how much fun that's going to be for me. I'm just going to, Put me in jail. I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they, this, this guy, Bill Koch, his thing with his dad's money that he has now turned into more of his money, his thing is wine. And he wants all of it. He wants all of the coolest shit in the cellar that he has made. And it is, this is some James Bond level shit, of course. He's got this huge thing. There are like wine bottles in the cement as like decoration. So Rudy was not the only guy to pull the wool over the eyes over old Bill Koch. This other guy, <laughs> this German dude, um... I tried to find the guy's name. Oh, no, did I delete Urkel it? Urkel Guru. Yes, this other guy defrauded Bill Koch for $10 million, and he just alleged a bunch of things and sold them to him that didn't exist. For example, wine from Thomas Jefferson. 
Bill thought that that still existed. Yeah. And then he could buy it. Dude, fuck you. Grow up. But he is also wealthy enough that when it was brought to his attention, he could go on a crusade. And then there's this picture of him on the cover of like Wine Spectator, like in a cowboy hat. Like, here's the renegade man bringing down the wine world to fraud. I was like, you look, you're the problem. This is hilarious. I yes. absolutely love this about you. So yes. he's, he's, it's like, he's like, uh, I, I'm sealing away an ancient evil only to become the ancient evil. Right. So now he sues this other, this German guy from the 90s. And he sues Rudy, of course, and he gets the payout, and Rudy goes to prison, and then, well, he's sentenced, and he gets deported. Is he in prison in Indonesia, or is he just gone? So as of 2021, according to the LA Times, uh, Rudy has been deported. Uh, he uh, So the, the article reads, uh, the one-time darling of the LA wine scene who built collectors by selling cheaper rebottled booze has been deported to Indonesia. Uh, U.S. Uh, immigration officials said uh, that he was he left on a commercial flight from Dallas-Fort Worth to Jakarta, uh, which, by the way, Jakarta is not the name of Indonesia's capital anymore. I think they just like renamed. Did, did they, they really assign the capital? Did they rename? Yeah, like it, it, like Jakarta is not the side the quest. I, I I think that yeah, we're gonna have to uh, figure that Indonesia. out. Indonesia, Jakarta. Is it Jakarta still? It says Indonesia's government wants to move the capital from Jakarta on the island oh. of Java to the island Borneo. For $33 billion to build a new metropolis they're calling Nusantara. So they want to like build. They are building a new capital, yes. By the way, have you seen that thing that's like allegedly like a super long like mega city? I'm obsessed with this. We should talk about that. Yeah, the Saudi Arabia's super city. So like scientists are on board with that. Did you know that? No. It's super good for climate change. Wow. Congratulations. People live on top of each other. The Great Wall of Saudi Arabia. It yeah, puts people on top of each other. Like, okay, yeah. well, because we're like the cities and yeah, high speed rails and shit. It's it's kind of. A, I got into the weeds on that. So that's <laughs> we, gross. I hate we that. will talk about this fake city that they're building. Side quest over. Bill Koch got defrauded by these people, but he's a billionaire and he has nothing to do. The industry runs itself. We need toilet paper. So he goes on this crusade. He gets the German guy. He gets Rudy. Rudy goes to prison and then he's deported. It sounds like and Mr. Koch gets all of his money back. But the real winner here is. Uh, us because we get to laugh at both of and all of these people for being defrauded for their stupidity I don't feel bad for the influencers that couldn't sniff out that Firefest was bullshit and I don't feel bad for the rich people that bought all this wine and that thought like yeah $80,000 is a reasonable amount of money for this wine and the person who backs me up the greatest part of the documentary and what must have been one of the most amazing moments of drama in the history of an industry that is filled with douchebaggery and boredom must have been when the French winemaker whose wine was allegedly being sold, went to the auction. And when it was sold, he's like, hey, that's not my wine. I never made that. My family never did that. This is total bullshit. You're all liars. He I stood up in the auction wines. house. He literally stood up in the auction house and said, Shakaibi. Jacques. A literal Jacques. He literally did that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So he literally went there and he was like, no. And then the other thing is, and this is true, people that have been to Italy and France will tell you that the French and Italians think about us for spending 50, 60, 70, $80 a bottle. 80, not 80,000. They think we're complete morons. And they're correct about that. It's They're like, get your refillable wine bottle, go to the store and fill it up. Why why are you doing this to yourselves? Like, I would never sell it for, for more than that. So then, last thing before we get to the index is every time with one of these fraudsters, there are people that are complicit. Yep. And in this instance, it's the auction houses. They were like, oh, is it fraudulent? We don't know anything about that. Know. We'll take yeah, our cut, like, please. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things about these frauds is like, 
it is amazing how much you can get away with just because people don't verify things. Like like the uh, going back to the the instant replay with the guys who were convicted of uh, of cheating with the bass fishing thing. Mm-hmm. Like they did that for years, and people yeah. like they were they were accused of having done that for years in the video that that broke uh, headlines. Yeah, and like nobody ever like verified. People just yeah. didn't check. So and when you're dealing with like quantities of wine, that's already a kind of a mysterious thing. And you're looking at like all the old labels kind of look the same. And like most of the characteristics of the bottles are similar. Right. And like they're not meant to be opened. They're not meant to be investigated. Like right, the preservation right, right. of this thing that like every time you drink wine and every time you open open wine, that consumption, uh, I think one of the one of the investor bro dipshits that they show on like a clip from a news <laughs> yeah, segment is yeah. like, well, uh, there's already a, an artificial uh, price cap because or like a demand cap because every time you drink wine, uh, it's it's gone. It's not like currency or whatever. So I don't know. It's I, not I gone. Think that's it's helping like, me. It's helping my brain. It's things right. are good. Yeah. It's right. Good. So nice. so, but like these things are not they're, they're not really meant to be interrogated. They're meant to be yeah. held onto by hoarders of wealth. So the lack of investigation into this kind of stuff it makes sense. It's like, well, why would you just like like why would you verify and vet every single bottle from these like pallets and pallets of ultra rare, ultra valuable shit when when you could just simply not and take a big cut of the money because you're the auction house and uh, it behooves you not to ask questions. Right. So Rudy's like, I've got four bottles I want to sell. Each of them are going to go for over a hundred thousand dollars. And Sotheby's like sick. And and like, that's all they have to do because everyone around in the tight neck circle, like Rudy's selling bottles. This is going to be sweet. So Sotheby's is like, yep, this is legit. Fuck it. I don't care. And they, and why, why would they, this is, it it reminds me a lot of like, it was, it was not Sotheby's. Was it? Wasn't it Sotheby's? I thought it was Acker. It was Acker. It was Acker. Yes. Yes. And they said like, my bad for defamation. It's Acker. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like Acker used to be like a like a small store. They said, yeah. And Rudy kind of got them into the business of like doing this yes. like auction house type stuff. And so they didn't want to ask questions because there was like a huge. Uh, it, 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 things were coming up aces for them. There was like a big turn of fortunes based on Correct. Rudy coming in and selling all this like ultra yeah. rare, ultra valuable yeah. wine. It, it reminds me of you like. Like Jerry News, how in Jerry Media, how like, mm-hmm. oh, is it is it bullshit? I didn't. We had no knowledge that it was bullshit, and we're just gonna take his money and, uh, yep, check cleared. Damn, that sucks for you guys, huh? Yeah, like it's and like one one of the things that like I, I would say probably the most irritating thing for me about all this fraudster stuff, like regardless of whether you feel bad for the victims, in this case I don't. In Jerry Media's no. case, I don't. No. Uh, regardless of how bad you feel for those. For, for those people, uh, I, I think one of the most irritating things to me is like how transparently bullshit the defenses are. Like yeah. Rudy's defense attorney described his <laughs> obvious like rebottling and uh, fa- like counterfeiting operation as uh, reconditioning. And he was like buying paper that was like meant to be antiqued. Like its properties were such that it was like good for making oldie worldy looking labels and like a recorking machine. This guy was like, Oh, uh, what I think was happening was he was simply reconditioning some of the old bottles. And it's like, good God. Yeah. Like, well, and, and the, the guy, uh, Jeffrey Levy, I want to just like revisit him real quick. Uh, it, I, I said he was the other guy in the documentary to yeah, defend yeah, yeah. Rudy and like his, yep. his own reputation and like his own, I guess, integrity were kind of at stake here. Uh, but, to see all of this stuff that the FBI found 
which the, an agent described as like, if you gave me the top 10 things I would want to find on a bus, he's like, it's like 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10th power, like orders and, of magnitude better than anything. You and could he ask was for. there during the raid. Like, yes. He like was he was in present the in the home. Is this so, your shit, Rudy? And he's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. So like the, the, the guy who defended him was like, well, what is all this stuff doing here? We don't know. Like what, why are all these wine bottles here? Why are all these labels here? It's like, my brother in Christ, it's fraud. Stop making it seem like it like could plausibly be something else. Like technically, no, you have to you you got to prove innocent, and like technically, you have to like verify every little thing. Which like Jerry true. Media is like, oh yeah, sorry, to, we we didn't know, and like it's transparently bullshit. But because of like legal technicalities and the rhetoric that surrounds putting people behind bars and, and actually holding people accountable in in the court of law uh they can kind of get away with that kind of bullshit and yeah. to the average person who doesn't have the advantage of having a shitload of money to pay for lawyers to win their arguments like it's really frustrating because the liars know that they're lying they know they're full of shit uh but they just don't want to be held accountable for their actions and, and i think that's really the the most irritating thing here for me rudy pled yeah. not guilty and he like went you know, to trial the, he was caught red-handed. Yeah, he went yeah. to trial, pled not Which guilty. I, I genuinely feel bad. Honestly, uh, like the defense attorneys are like, it, we have the rights to defense and like they have to do their best. And could you imagine having this guy as a client be like, hey, you should plead, 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 plead. And he's like, no, I, I, I want to go to defense. And the lawyer's like, fucking, all right, whatever. Like, I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, I have to go and say something. And the, ju the judge must be like, yep, okay, a any questions? And the, the prosecution's like, a lot, actually. Yeah, we'll take a minute here. And like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so I, I feel bad for the lawyer. And he's got to say it. And he has a client. And, like, he, like interviews. Like, well, it could have been this. Like, I feel bad. Those I people, know. I they're, they're kind of like doctors and nurses in that, like, you got to. Someone's got to go into the battle. Like, they have to do it. Which I, But also, the, the scummiest people are the ones that are, like, like you said with Jerry Media. Like, oh, I don't know. Well, the scum, and we'll get into this with a, an episode down the road. Like, a great example of this, of course, is the Sackler family, who should be, I would say, put to death. They are murderers. Wow. And they, oh no, I'm not joking. They are. They've committed crimes against humanity and hang them in the square. They have. They've. They've ruined the lives of like maybe a hundred million people worldwide. It's insane. Do you know who that Were is? No. The Sackler family was the majority owning family of Purdue Pharmaceuticals, which invented OxyContin. Oh, yeah. Yes, they should be put to death. So, yes. So we'll get into that. Like, how much did they know? Did they not know? The worst people are like they can find loopholes and get themselves out of trouble and that kind of shit. And you're like, I don't know. How, how would how would I how was I to know? about this and when the crime is like with them systematic epidemic plague and death you're like okay this is really serious when it's the wine people are like you're gonna have a hard time drumming up public support either way which makes it a fascinating documentary and i 10 out of 10 recommend watching it because you're like this is just a car crash i love all of this oh yeah yeah it's really great because the stakes are super low for the viewer it's not mm -hmm. like you need to change the way you see the world like like all these like climate change documentaries and like all these documentaries about like massive social movements like they kind of like put the onus on the viewer it's like now this is your responsibility to go out and do something about it. like this one's like hey this is a really sick like sick kind of funny thing that happened and like it's not going to affect your life in any way like no. at all no not at all i will say this uh before we get to our index last thing before we get Which to our you already said, by the way. Yeah, my bad. So last, last thing, bonus round. <laughs> um, <laughs> bonus round. <laughs> last, last thing is that um, I got into the wine world for a little bit. So I, I was laid off in 2016 
I got into craft beer and craft wine and I, I couldn't quite afford to get into whiskey. And I learned some things because I, re I realized that as a writer journalist, I have to protect myself. And the greatest way to do that is to get into the drug business. And the legal one is booze. So mm. there's a, that's always hiring. So I, I, I'm going to go work at a liquor store and I'm going to learn this. So I, I worked at a high end beer liquor store that was adjacent to a Wegmans. It was kind of Wegmans, but it was better because of New Jersey laws and whatever. True. So I learned a lot about the wine industry as it were and what i found was if you're looking for a really good bottle european or not european old world new world your price range is like 15 dollars to about 75 dollars. so you pay 40 bucks for a bottle of wine you can find stuff and they'll, they'll be selling shit in the back room or whatever for 500 that 50 60 bottle the most wine experts will tell you like that's actually better because all of that is propped up on like this bubbly like well, look at this bottle that i have the high level expensive stuff you can taste it if you know the right fundraisers in a major metropolitan area there'll be a like cancer fundraisers and things like that and I, I paid i was really poor at the time but i paid and i tasted some of that stuff and it checks out like that's a different level that stuff that's 30 40 years old is different it tastes really good does it taste like a thousand dollars good probably does it taste like fifty thousand dollars good absolutely not no chance yeah. in hell and that, and that that's kind of that's that that's the purpose of this okay so let's do the index all right me the and you index. and then let's get the hell out of here um okay so let's start at the top Rudy, how successful was he? I am going to go with a hard seven because he pulled off the wine stuff, but he forgot the details. Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go the four on that one. I think he was less successful because he was caught pretty quickly. He was only running around in these he was wasn't running around in these circles like for a super long time. And like the way that he was caught in such an embarrassing fashion, like literal hand in the fucking cookie jar. <laughs> yes. Like, dude, I I mean, one of the labels that he had uh, had a misspelled. Uh, address for the winery like it's it was like sackville Bad or details. something and like instead of v-i-l-l-e it was v-i-l-e-e -E. be like right. sackville like grow up so i'm gonna give this guy a four four okay fair enough intelligence 10 hard 10 holy shit 10 yeah i'm gonna go with a, a, a 10 on that one as well yeah, i don't, I mean, I don't like, like to give 10s just in general because right. uh i think you got to be really perfect but man he really pulled it off this guy uh, must said, be one of the smartest uh, ones. We've, we've well, done. you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to downgrade that to a nine because one of the things he did was he had to have outsourced this to people. Sure. Uh, and he didn't really, like, vet and verify that. And, like, the errors may or may not have come from him, uh, but certainly it was not a repeatable process, and it wasn't sustainable. And his lack of success, I think, uh, drops that by, by a single point. But, man, you, you, you can't fake the palate. He really did uh, have that expertise, and he really knew how to, like – he knew how to change, change and manipulate the wine market basically from the moment that he entered it. And he right. made the best use of hundreds of million dollars of stolen Indonesian money that I think anybody could reasonably <laughs> expect. Yeah, which his allowance must have been uh, pretty big but pretty small uh, at both at the same time. <laughs> number, okay, so for, let's move on to number three, which is luck. Luck for me is all has to do with this family circumstances. It's a five, but the rest of it, I kind of think he did it on his own. I, the only thing, I don't, I think that the victims are all basically the same. He was pretty lucky, but I think that all wine people are probably about that smart and that stupid. So I'm going to give him a hard five. Okay, I'm going to give him a six because I, I think one of the factors that worked in his favor was the fact that these uh, wine people are sniffing their own farts. Yep. And because sure. they are so they have such a vested interest in like their own expertise and status and like this exclusivity of the wine world, uh, he picked the perfect target and like it presented itself to him. And uh, so I think that that kind of pushes him into the uh, luckier than not range. I agree with you there. Let's go to depravity. Depravity for me is like the evilness and how much did you know that you knew? So I'm going to cap it for him at seven because this was a victimless. It wasn't a victimless crime, but like 
Bill Koch's doing fine. So yeah. f- as far as how much he knew, I'm going to give him a seven because he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't stumble on and like fake it till you make it. And because Billy McFarlane was a dipshit and he just like kind of accidentally screwed people. He didn't have a plan. This dude had a plan. And so it was a hard seven yeah. for me. Uh, ordinarily, I would agree with you. But the fact that he was defrauding basically what it amounted to <laughs> like wine frauds themselves, like yeah. not fraud in the sense of like, I'm defrauding you, but fraud in the sense of like, like a sports metaphor, like, oh, we've been exposed. Yes. Like the wine world was exposed by this guy. And yes. it's so funny to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a three yeah, on Evil. Which is true. He like, did know exactly what he was doing, but damn, that's funny. And uh, Burgundy wine that was around the age and stuff that he was selling at the time, all of a sudden the prices have gone down like 90%, which is crazy. Mm, crazy. Well, and he did, <laughs> he did also like, he inadvertently gave this one guy, uh, the, the Burgundy winemaker who was like, they called him the Sherlock Holmes of the wine world for some right, reason. Right, right, they right. Ch- he gave this guy a chance to just like straight up flex. So right. it's like, yeah, all right, thank true. you for your service, really. Which is funny. And number five, lying and storytelling. I'm going to say, I mean, this has got to be an eight or a nine. Like he created a persona. I mean, he had a lot of resources, but yeah. they all bought it. And they and there are people um, like, he, he got caught eventually by people who were looking to catch him. But people who verify and sniff out bullshit couldn't do it. I'm going to give him Eight. a 10. He, yeah. he fucking used his mom's name to operate <laughs> under illegal premises on previous frauds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, man. Just the sheer balls on that guy. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, did I say Marianne? My name is actually Kobe Bryant. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, I'm going to give this guy a 10. Okay, <laughs> so success for me, 7, 17, 22, uh, 29. And for me, that is a 37. Not okay. Bad. 37, I've got, uh, I've got 10, I've got 20, I've got 32. 32, 37 on the index. Play along in Spotify. If you listen to Spotify, there will be a thread. You can find this on Facebook. Twitter, we're on Twitter. We have a Reddit. We have a subreddit as well. Thank you for one of our listeners for making that happen. We appreciate that. Let us know where you rank Rudy. Watch the documentary Sour Grapes. And don't sue us, Chris. Um, I can't wait to go have a glass of $19 wine later uh, this afternoon. Yes, the 2022 vintage is particularly on the shelf this time of year. You know, in the wine world right now, they're having a real debate on, like, how can we get people to buy boxes because it's so much better for the environment. And they're like, well, uh, Californians will do it, but other rich people won't ever do it like, just because they yeah. want the bottle. It's a, it's a crying shame. Uh, but, you know, I don't really care. <laughs> I drink whiskey anyway. <laughs> that's, that's good advice. Uh, yeah, like, rate, review, subscribe. Chris, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.